Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. We'll see if it keeps going well. It's going well. <laughs> we hope it's going well for everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in, hit that subscribe button, follow me on Twitter, check out all of our content on the internet, go to focuscompounding.com, email me or DM me your questions, and we will pull them and answer them on our once a week free form podcast. Um, anything you want to ask investing related, um, DM or email it to me and we will go over it. So in today's podcast, we're going to be trying something new. Mm -hmm. We are going to be going through a what are you buying thread on corner of Berkshire and Fairfax. Maybe people listening or watching or seeing their their accounts and we could punch it into yeah. quick FS. Uh, mm -hmm. Use the tell them you came from Focus Compound if you sign up and we'll just talk a little bit about it. See what people are buying. See what's on other people's minds and kind of go from there. Um, okay. So this is a good thread. If you go to Corner Berkshire or uh, the COBF .com. I put that link in the description. They actually recently just did a a revamp of their uh, UI on the website. Mm -hmm. um, you can go to this thread and just people continuously update it on what they're buying, what they're nibbling at, and stuff like that. Um, Does everyone know what this website is? We're just maybe not. What do? is? Yeah, we shouldn't assume. What is Corner Berkshire and Fairfax? Yeah, stuff? so I'd say it's a value investing forum. Um, it used, it looks a little different now, but it's like more old style message board type things. Yeah, and um, it you can there's an investment thread one there's a books one you know and um the idea behind it is it was originally people talking about two companies berkshire hathaway and fairfax financial and um, berkshire you know warren buffett everyone talks about him all the time so there's a lot of discussion of that and fairfax had been targeted by short sellers and stuff a while back and there was a lot of talk online about it and so those communities were brought together in this site do you go on this website a lot i do go onto the website um you don't have an account though no, and I don't comment on things on it. So you just and I only use certain parts of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People could be a little feisty sometimes. <laughs> on um, but I've I if something's posted in the investment ideas thread thing, I have seen it. So there's no investment idea posted to Berkshire and a corner of Berkshire and Fairfax that I wouldn't have at least at least read the thread. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've found like what one idea from this website. Uh, so I think that's misunderstood when I say that I, yes, I, I found like one idea. Um, I think one that it might, I think one, yeah, I don't think two. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't ideas discussed there that I also owned. Mm -hmm. It's just, did I find something there that I found nowhere else? Right. And, uh, that happened one time where there was something mentioned there that I had never heard mentioned anywhere else before looked it up and eventually we bought some of it every now and then i'll see your name come up on this website oh well if i see my name i probably stop reading uh that's a general rule for all over the internet that's a good um, rule if you produce content if you see yeah. if you see your name i have seen other things whether it's reddit things or whatever where um yeah i saw some things i went up oh, oh no i know what i saw yeah i know somewhere else i saw it too I was just reading something at a, like a write-up on another site, and then suddenly they just mentioned me. So just like, actually mentioned you. Get out of there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But they referred to you using my name. I mean, the by your, how you're connected to me. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, 
So somebody said that they were buying Berkshire. So we actually talked about Berkshire Hathaway stock when we went over Buffett's letter. Yes. And how our biggest takeaway from it was that Buffett thought that Berkshire thinks that Berkshire is cheap and that we would expect him to buy back a lot of stock. Um, we're looking yeah. at a quick FS right now. It's, uh, 14 times earnings, price to book, 1.3 times. Um, yeah, I like everything about Berkshire except that it's really big and its um, stock portfolio is really highly valued. But everything else I like a lot. What happens when Buffett passes on to Berkshire? I don't know. That's, it's that's I would question, have had right? different answers in the past than now, I think. I'm, I'm less sure now because he ran it for so long. It got so big. Um, you know, when people were asking this question 15 years ago, I think the answer would have been different. Uh, I think there's very limited ways to allocate more capital. Is Todd still running Geico? I don't know the answer. We were talking yeah, about that, how that just like randomly came out. Was it like last year, right? It was during the pandemic that he was the CEO of Geico, Todd Combs. Yeah, I don't remember the date on that. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel like, like, how did that not get brought up? Did it make, unless it did, I just missed it at, at the annual letter. And I'm just surprised it hasn't been like a... All I like, Wait, know what's going that Buffett said about it was that they, yes, they would hope it would be a temporary thing or something like that. It wasn't intended to be a long-term solution i think mm -hmm. it's the only thing i remember him saying got it i i and we've talked about this i always got the impression that like ted is more investor base and like todd it seems like he does more like operation like he could be an operator yeah i've also gotten the impression like you yeah um okay so somebody was buying more berkshire hathaway what other stocks are people interested in i'm just looking for the tickers pick up some more apts apts let me type that in on our bloomberg yeah, called Quick FS preferred this apartment hard communities. To evaluate, yeah, uh, you could look at the business description, but I think the finances are going to tell us a lot. Is this a REIT? It is a REIT. It's a real estate investment trust engaged primarily in the ownership and operation of Class A multifamily properties with select investments in grocery anchored shopping centers, Class A office buildings, and student housing properties. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I don't really know any takeaways that we could do from this without knowing the story no what's the um what a growth story though man from 2011 5 million to 2020 502 million yeah that's usually accomplished by issuing a, a lot yeah a lot i was gonna say let's so capital that's the situation here but yeah shares have gone from 4 million to 49 million okay yeah um like what's the ev to sales 6.2 yeah, I don't know what the mix is. That it's hard to believe, but that's not expensive for um, uh, for apartment buildings. Do you ever look at REITs? Yeah, I do. I find them to not be cheap enough usually, considering the amount of risk that they I feel they're taking on financially. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some other apartment ones that are insanely expensive. So. Um, uh, Buffett invested in some at one point. Um, there might be great things to do in shopping related ones that I'm just not, you know, aware of. I don't know enough about. Um, they can be really good investments when they're troubled in some way. Uh, but people buy them a lot for the the distribution, mm -hmm. and then um, so that can sometimes uh, have them at I think an unrealistic price. Like um, this is not exactly a REIT. But uh, I guess it was structured as an MLP type thing. Um, 
Pharrell Gas, which was the company that had acquired um, Blue Rhino years ago. Um, so it's a propane company, distributes propane, uh, recently went to bankruptcy. And that's a company I watched for a very long time. And years before they cut their distribution, I thought it was crazy they were paying out the distribution that they were. Oh, really? Yeah. And then they cut their distribution and, you know, a few years later they go bankrupt. Now they distribute a ton of money over time compared to, um, you know, their eventual stock price and stuff. So it's not like people lost everything they put into it. If they were long-term shareholders, they got a lot paid out to them. But uh, you can see the stock price sometimes was, although it had a pretty high yield, remarkably high, I would say, versus what you would think in any other, like, terms in terms of EV to EBITDA or whatever for that kind of business just because, it, you know, it's paying basically everything out. So that's my biggest concern with REITs. But, you know, if the interest rate situation changes one day or whatever, then REITs might be really interesting to me. It's kind of just an issue of people are very attracted to to income right now. Mm -hmm. And so I tend to find most things that pay almost everything out in income, you know, um, are a bit pricey. Got it. Um, uh, let's see. This guy is doing a snow angel and money, a money angel. Open position in Alibaba and Baba. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in our freeform podcast. Okay. But Munger recently bought some Baba. All right. What does that look like? Twenty times free cash flow. Gosh, I mean, just look at that growth. Two thousand eleven, a billion. Mm. 2020, 72.6 billion. That's a 56% CAGR over 10 years. Yeah, that is impressive. That is crazy. I wonder if uh, Lee Lu still owns Alibaba or not. Yeah. It almost sounds like that's been a, he's had a huge impression on Munger. It does sound that way. I mean, yeah, both definitely. ways, but yeah. Definitely sounds that way, yeah. People are talking about Markel. Have you ever looked at this company? Uh, yes, I have. Um, I've looked at it. I've looked at Allegheny. Yeah, yeah. A lot of value investors, I guess, in the sort of follow that you know mm -hmm. group. They all usually reference this company. Yeah, so definitely similarities on the investment side to Berkshire and Fairfax. Both, um, not a lot of uh, insurance companies are structured that way. Uh, do we have information on price to book and things like that now? Yep, one point three times price to book. Um, we got uh, what do you what else you want? No, that's pretty good. Um, five point five percent return on equity. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to know more about the accounting that way because of how insurance accounting works now. Yeah. Um, what I mean is on the investment side how it works. Uh. Yeah, that's that's not that expensive for a company like that. Um, it's not cheap during normal times for a company like that. But, I mean, the market's pretty expensive. So we just saw the same thing with Berkshire. Um, I assume the same situation is with Fairfax, too. Um, we talked about a title insurer. Um, same sort of thing. You know, that's not a that kind of price range. Yeah, it might be better than buying a... Um, the SP 500. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I mean, it, then buying a insurer you know less well that trades a discount to book. I mean, a lot of people have a problem with paying a premium to book for an insurer, and I can understand why. If you look at the um, long-term return equity and stuff, um, it's often not that great. Um, for an insurer, now you kind of have to look at 
the change in book value over time and do that as a measurement as a better way of guessing what the return equity is. Um, but Markel Historics has been a very good insurance operation. Very good. Did you see this yesterday? Uh, they're going to put Square Garden Entertainment's acquiring MSGN. Yeah. They, they put, I was like, what? Yeah. Deal valued at more than $900 million and aims to tap into the rise of sports gambling. Okay. Interesting. I don't right? know if that's what it, it is, but that's what the I mean, Wall Street Journal. They said. were they were separate and they put them back together, right? Yeah. I'm not. I mean, they crazy spun here. off. It's a, it's the same as like Viacom, CBS, exactly. taking part, put them back together. Okay. Yeah. 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 We looked at this company, uh, in uh, both of them, but in particular MSG Networks, um, which, if you remember, I thought looked. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, we looked at both of them. Um, yeah, it looked interesting, but on a long-term basis, the problem was you're, you know, you basically had liabilities, like you were agreeing to pay for stuff, and I didn't know what the audience would be and how much they'd they'd be willing to pay for it in future years, mm-hmm. and so it kind of worried me. And the structure of the financial situation they were in kind of worried me. I thought that there was significant leverage that way because it's kind of an off-balance sheet sort of thing if you think about it. Mm-hmm. If you're agreeing, you know, I'm going to pay you for your. Um, for your rights to your sports teams to air them on my network for, you know, 20 years or whatever the deal was, it was a long-term deal. And there was an automatic escalation of a few percent a year or something. But what if your TV audience over time goes down or what if your ability to get per subscriber goes down, you know, you basically have a fixed cost for something and then you're selling it at a price that isn't necessarily higher. Yeah. Have you ever been to the garden? Is that what they call it? The garden? They do, and I have been, yeah. Yeah, it says Madison Square Garden in 2015 spun off its sports and entertainment business. And that's probably that's why we looked at it, probably. was because You've pretty much been there, too. I mean, we didn't go inside, but yeah. uh Yeah. Uh, From its media business, making MSG Networks a standalone media company. In 2020, Madison Square Garden spun off its entertainment businesses from its sports businesses. Madison Square Garden Sports Corp owns the New York Knicks and New York Rangers, among other teams and assets. This is the Dolan family, right? Yes. Yeah. Which made a lot of money in cable vision. Yeah. So I thought that was funny because that, that that was kind of interesting, I thought. Um, what else we got here? Yeah, I mean, that, that's I don't know about the explanation versus the truth. With a lot of these companies, sure. I feel like um, they split up and get back together based on kind of what they think Wall Street wants at that time. Course, and so yeah. and it doesn't value it, you know. Um, I mean, the CBS Viacom thing, I think when they split them up, they thought Viacom will be this hot stock and no one will want CBS. And that didn't happen. And then eventually, you know, there was always talk, well, maybe we should put them back together then. My favorite example of that was Tillman Fertitta. Yeah. When he basically bought back his old company because it was – like what four times EBITDA on the market and yeah went public at a popular time for restaurant things and then you bought it back yeah, yeah you, you always have that. wait till it's good again and go public again you always have that option I mean Hunter Douglas went private um, Cambria made an offer or said that they might make an offer yeah. um, and they it's interesting oh the NASCAR uh, tracks mm-hmm. all of them did it there were a couple publicly traded ones and they it's amazing that they all the EVD, but how they go public at is higher than the one that they try to go private at. Yeah. It is funny when that happens. They don't take them out of the top of the cycle. No. Let's see. And it's always funny too, when you listen to the explanations behind it, 
if somebody takes their company private, they're like, I don't want to listen to Wall Street analyst or mm. be on the roller coaster, blah, blah, blah. But then like a few years later, when the multiples are different, they just redo it all over again. They just craft the narrative. Whoops. Let's see. Someone was talking about Visa. Have you ever looked at Visa? Yeah. <laughs> I looked at Visa MasterCard. Uh, you're going to see some price multiples, and that's the oh, issue. Yeah. So. That's it. Yeah, 22 times EV to sales. Yeah. 52 times so, for cash flow. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of hard, you know, to pay that much for anything. Um, it, I'm just not that sure. I could be. We well, got to be right about growth if you're going to do that. You have to be completely sure to pay that kind of price, you know. So people might wonder, like, why do we own like OTC markets and not Visa or something? Shouldn't I like Visa better or MasterCard better? Don't they have a clear future, you know? Um, it, it's the amount that you're paying for this that certainty when you compare it. Um, now the margins on um, what are the margins on Visa? They're high. Let's see. So we have 10-year median margins, gross profit, 81%, EBIT, 64%, free cash flow, 44.5%. Yeah. Um, that's really good. But you're still, that's a very, very high EV sales. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I mean, even if it was valued more in line with just like a blue chip, popular, large company, um, we'd be talking about an EV sales that's half of that. As I say, you're going down 50%. Yeah, yeah. You're, it's more than half of that, yeah. So that's the difficulty. Yeah, somebody on Twitter I remember was talking about DoorDash, and I think it's down like 50 or 60% since. He was talking about initiating a new position. Okay. Again, total hindsight bias, and I didn't even say anything. But what I thought intuitively to myself, I was like, okay, so before this dropped 50%, it was already like a $100 billion business, and um, you paid... So it's currently EV to sales, call it 40 times. So you paid it 80 times EV to sales. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, how do you underwrite like a return in that? Right. So that's the difficult thing. Like you better be freaking right if you have a, you know, call it almost a $100 billion company or whatever. It's trading at 40 times. I mean, this isn't like a, a speculative small cap or something. Right. Yeah. And that's the difficult thing where even if it's a really good business, a really good business might trade at eight times EV to sales. So you could have a 90% loss just on the multiple contraction. Um, the things with like that are different with Visa than DoorDash are you do have a clear insight into the appropriate sort of um, levels for you to sales and stuff because of the margin situation. Um, that's the one that always worries me when I talk to people about Tesla. It seems difficult for them to ever have margins that are high enough to justify their EV to sales because of what business they're in, which is different from businesses that are say soft. So someone's talking about some software as a service business. That's, that's new. Um, it could have margins that aren't that far from visa, you know, probably not visas margins, but there are companies like that. Um, this is not unique to that though. If you look, you could look up FICO so you can see just how high the multiples are on some businesses like this, even though it's not some tremendously fast growing thing. So what's the EVS sales on it? 11.7. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, if we look at the 10 year growth, there has been some certainly, and then they've, they've, they had been reducing their share count. I don't know how far they've reduced it recently, but um, that is coming out of a, a bust. You know, so the, what's the revenue growth over the last 10 years? 
eight percent okay but it's from the bottom of the cycle so you're probably not a business that can really grow eight percent forever although maybe in very recent years they have but it is tied to credit activity to a significant extent so ev to ebitda 38 times yeah so it's the same as like when uh, we talked about boston beer or something i mean i wrote it up years ago liked it as a business then kind of like it as a business just as much now but the price is just you know well that's the thing it's like you know you there's like um the whole like growth versus, versus value and i just when i conceptually and thinking through it i'm like how do you just get your return i mean we talked about microsoft for example and mm -hmm. i don't know if it's because of the times or what but the best example was when microsoft went nowhere for 10 plus years or whatever but the business did nothing but grow but it's the multiples were just so yeah. freaking high that it came it took forever for it to come back to earth yeah um and you know eventually microsoft had a low multiple actually about the same i mean i paid 10 times for cash uh, free cash flow for fico which shows you that i should have bought it and kept it forever yeah um because I don't know the exact number. I don't think they've split or anything since then. So what's the close? What's uh, the, the last price on the uh, stock? Let's see. Oh, actually, it's up there. It's right there. Uh, 500, $498. What'd yeah. you pay? My guess is it's up 20 times or something from what I've paid. Nice. Because the, what is the EV to free cash flow right now? 42 times. Yeah. So you get about five times return from that. And then I would guess that over the last 10 years, is it, it probably has increased four times. I know it's hard to believe, but earnings and free cash flow probably grew a lot faster. Actually tells you, what does it say? Free cash flow grew 14%. Yeah. So you get 14% a year from the free cash flow growth. Then you get about four, five times increase in the, the multiple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I normally say. If somebody like pitches me a stock or talks about stock on that's like very high, like uh, valuation wise, I just say, well, you better be right on growth. <laughs> yeah. Um, people get offended if you be like, no, I'm not interested or, you know, like I don't see how that could work, but it's just like, there needs to be some sort of rational side to it. But if, if I did the math, right, the thing that's impressive is this is a company that grew at 8% a year for the last 10 years revenue revenue and yet returned 20 times. Mm -hmm. And that's the multiple thing. It's like, a third I mean, that, shares that's a, that's a, yeah. It's gone um, from 40 to uh, 30 million shares outstanding. A significant amount of that was early though, right? In the period, no? Uh, yeah, from well, 2011 to 2014, it went from 40 million to 35 million. You see, the issue with that is they were able to buy back a lot early on because their stock was cheaper. So buybacks don't accomplish anything when your stock's really expensive. Mm -hmm. They just don't, you can't buy back much stock. Um, I mean, at this point, if you used all of your free cash flow, you can't even buy back more than 2% of your company or something, you know? Um, yeah. So same sort of thing, very expensive. And that's why I would be afraid of it now. I mean, it did trade at 10 times at the bottom of the last cycle. Um, I don't know that that would ever happen again, but it's very easy to imagine it falling by more than 50% just on the multiple. Um, which is like when we talked about Microsoft, same, same thing. In fact, a lot of the numbers that are, pretty similar for FICO and Microsoft in that Microsoft um, didn't have that amazing growth. It was good. It had a couple years that were really amazing, but it wasn't that different from the 10 years in which the stock did badly. The next 10 years as a business weren't that amazing, but it was starting at such a low price. So these things do work out a lot better if you buy them, you know, at 10 times rather than 40 or 50 times. Mm. Yeah. And then 
the other thing is maybe you should hold them longer (laughs) because uh, obviously when I was investing in the company, I never was thinking about uh, price multiples this high, right? I would have thought maybe one day it'll, if everyone loves the stock, it'll be at a multiple that's about half of what it's double it. Yeah. Go from 10 to 20. Yeah. That it could go to 25 times. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it had been before. Yeah. But that's, I would, you know, and I wouldn't, in, I wouldn't make an investment assuming that it had to do that, but reasonably could it have gone to 25 times? Yes, but I never would have imagined 50 basically. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy, crazy. We could look at a couple more. Hmm. Um, let's see. Let's see. Someone went on a podcast to talk about ATTO. Oh, I think I know what that is. Let's see. Smaller company, $318 million market cap, six times EV to free cash flow. They provide customer relationship management and business process outsourcing services and solutions in Brazil, the Americas, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Yeah, I basically thought this was like a call center type company. Yeah, I think I know this one. It provides its services and solutions through digital channels, which include SMS, email, chats, Social media yeah, and apps. It's contact yeah. center. Yeah, it's not a call center. As well as center. through voice. Yeah. And it outsources it to other people. Like it runs it for AT&T and stuff. I mean, not AT&T, but AT&T I know does outsource a lot of that. Um, and I in the US. Um, yeah. EV to sales, 0.4. 10-year median oh. margins on EBIT, 4.6. So it's yeah, kind of that's good. that, yeah, you call it cheap. Yeah. I mean, you adjust that for tax rates in the U.S. and stuff. You're talking about saying that on a normalized basis, the PE would be like 13 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a pretty big threat on this on Corner Berkshire and Fairfax. The two issues are the country, for me, the country and the um, uh, industry that it's in. And I may be biased a little bit about that, but um, I did read the presentation from this company. Interesting. Well, I'm going to search uh, this uh, podcast and find out who Safety in Numbers is. <laughs> oh, is it the Seeking Alpha uh, blogger? I'm not sure. Okay. I have no idea. Let's see. Interesting. Um, cool. Well, I want to start talking about more timely stocks and what people are buying and stuff. Okay. So find a, a right format for that amazon people talk about amazon yeah berkshire this berkshire still on some amazon oh that is right i totally forgot about that it was it wasn't a huge position no it was probably but... one of the other guys oh yeah it wasn't buffett ted or todd mm-hmm. um ev to sales four times yeah amazon's got two parts that are very different in terms of what the ev to sales and all that should be um so that's like a little like amazon versus web services yeah yeah mm-hmm. so it is a little difficult to tell that way um See, but how would you okay here's a perfect yeah. example right ev to free cash flow 52 times so let's call it a two percent free cash flow yield okay right but but they, growth 28 27 so it's like how do you that could be fine I've no, free cash flow plus growth. How would you think about that? Amazon doesn't the valuation on Amazon. I can't say that it's cheap, but I can't say that it's too expensive because they're in very, very big businesses. The ones that worry me a little bit more 
people's projections for long-term growth are the companies that are based on advertising on the internet mm -hmm. because that is limited. There's only so much that you can have of that. They have very large market share in it. Um, Amazon may have half or whatever of the um, online retail, but online retail is very small compared to offline retail. I mean, they have like no penetration in, in groceries and things like that, which is a huge industry. That's why they're in industries like that, um, you know, or dipping their toe in those sorts of things, because one day it might become a big thing uh, for them. And, and then web services is big too. The potential for that is really big. So you have these huge things it could be in. Um, I don't know if those businesses will be great over time, if their returns will hold up as well and all that sort of thing. I mean, the history of big dominant retailers is that long before everyone realizes that they're the big dominant retailer, their returns are actually decreasing. Competition is coming in and it's slowly eroding. And later people can look back and go, oh, their returns have been getting worse and worse. Um, so I don't know if the profitability will be as high forever, but they're really big markets that they're in. So it doesn't bother me as much as when people project really um, large sizes for Google and Facebook and companies like that. Compared to you know Facebook, Google, uh, Apple, companies like that, Amazon has uh, is operating in much, much bigger markets. It's very global, and it's just huge markets. I mean, how much does it do in sales right now? Three hundred eighty-six billion. Yeah, and it isn't. I mean, it has large market share in some places, but um, no, the the valuation is not. You can't prove that it couldn't grow a lot more um, because it has almost no market share in some areas of retail that could become big one day. I'm not sure they all will. But, you know, but like Chewy is a public company now and pet food is something that I always question whether it become very big. Um, and it has because it combined two things that are kind of interesting. The economics of it are terrible um, because of shipping and stuff with weight, but the convenience everyone wants it. Um, and so it's one of those questions of will people do something for convenience that is clearly inferior in every other way as a value thing. I mean, it's more expensive in terms of the cost structure for them. There's just a less of a lot of things, but would they do it? And, you know, that's kind of the thing with like, you know, DoorDash and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, how valuable is convenience? And Amazon has very small market share in some areas that could become really big. You know, um, one day there could be a really big amount of uh, online sales of all sorts of things. I can't be sure that there won't be a lot of online grocery sales one day. And if there are, if you had half of the grocery market in the U.S. or something, that's like, it's, it, you know, it's ton. It's close to half of what, uh, I mean, it's more than half. It's between half and all of what they're selling right now because they do almost nothing in grocery. Mm -hmm. So in terms of sales, uh, profitability, probably not so great, you know, but maybe it would be different. Maybe the model would be different. You know, I don't know, but there'll be lots of things they'll try out and some of them might become hits. And so it's possible they could grow at a good clip for a long time. The uh, San Diego chargers supposedly are putting themselves up for sale. Okay. I wonder if Jeff Bezos is going to scoop them up. Supposedly, well, they've been wanting to buy an NFL team. Well, so that's an interesting part of it. Do people care uh, how involved he is or not with Amazon? Do uh, like Amazon shareholders? Investors. Yeah, shareholders. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's still chairman. He's not the day to day. I mean, they said that it's been like that for a couple of years now. Right. Then COVID came and he was 
back at the office every single day. Yeah, I don't know a lot about Amazon historically. It certainly seems like they don't keep executives or employees or anybody for very long. Mm -hmm. Um, As compared to most companies, it seems like there's a huge amount of turnover. I can't tell you how many former Amazon people are at other companies. And they weren't at Amazon for long. Is it like a resume builder? It might be. Yeah, yeah. Uh it could be. And they go to like a startup or a smaller company. Yeah, also compared to other... um, big tech it doesn't sound as nice a place to work uh, for the top executives and stuff um i think it was more demanding place um so the culture sounds very different than the other big tech companies so um he survived a helicopter crash yeah 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 um (laughs) yeah he's gonna put us on mars that's possible yeah um i just wonder if if people care about that because uh about him you know not being as involved at amazon because historically usually people on message boards and things talk a lot about who's running the company and all of that and i just don't have a feel with amazon about what's the i mean so he owns a lot of stock and he's a you know the chairman and all that sort of thing but who's making the decisions and the strategy of where they go and all that um because there aren't other people involved that are big in it. It's just crazy being a, so take last year out of it, right? A $280 billion company, like in revenue in mm-hmm. 2019, and you still grew, you know, 20.5%. Or yeah, 280 from 232 billion the year before. I mean, just being so big and still growing so much. Yeah. It's incredible. It, it is incredible. And that's not, you know, big pricing increases. I think that's actual physical volume of mm-hmm. things falling up. Yeah on both sides that way so yeah i've talked a lot about it on the podcast but my favorite stories about bezos when he was talking about starting aws and how usually when you start a new company you may have two or three years before competition comes in but with aws it was like five or six years and that made all the difference for them just to get so far ahead yeah it's interesting i've read a lot of books where they say the same thing I can't tell you how many CEOs when writing about uh, in, in a book, you know, saying here, I always thought we'd have a few years and then the competition would come in. So we had to do this fast. And I was wrong. They took like three times longer, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting why they always predicted that'll happen so fast that way. Um, I like the day one attitude. I was looking at my wall in my office. Yeah. I was like, I want to get like a little tarp thing that just says focus compounding. I'm never going to change it have that sucker okay. for the next 50 years because you know that picture of jeff bezos he's working in his office uh-huh. and he has the amazon thing on the wall and it yeah like it was done with like a spray paint or whatever yeah yeah love that and they're very big on day one having that day one attitude yep yeah so i mean um the valuation is very hard to determine though right but okay so eb free cash flow 52 times right revenue growth 27 times say that just somehow ends up being you know 10 percent. i mean you're still getting you could no it doesn't see how you could get a decent return even at these prices it doesn't seem unreasonable to me actually most of the very big tech things um do not seem unreasonable to me on valuation uh i actually would say that the things we looked at like you know fico Mm -hmm. like visa um like when we talk about boston beer those worry me a lot more. I don't know what that's all about um, as compared to if you you have, you know, um, I mean, Apple's a lot more expensive now than it was before, but, you know, Apple and Google and, and um, 
Microsoft and uh, Facebook, uh, for instance. Uh, not so Netflix. I don't know enough about. Um, but those aren't cheap, right? But there's the potential there. I mean, for them to be not just really good businesses, but grow for a while longer. Mm-hmm. So the multiples aren't crazy on those. What's the multiple on Boston beer? EB to EBITDA, 45 times, 46 times, 45.7. Yeah. I mean, they have a really big, um, you know, hard seltzer thing, apparently. They own truly, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, the indications are that there's kind of a boom in that area right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like really, um, as compared to when they introduced it. So that might be part of the excitement that people have for it. Uh, I don't exactly get it, to be honest, that way. Um, why you pay that kind of price. The reason I don't get it is because if it really becomes that big, some of these things we're talking about, there's competition. Um, I mean, you can read the book, uh, Quench Your Own Thirst, um, and get a feel for what they did and how much competition came in and all those sorts of things. It's I like the business, and I think they'll accomplish a lot of stuff um, for the long term in building these brands. But it's just the way that the business works. This isn't a winner-takes-all sort of thing. I don't think it is. Um, so I think that's kind of a high valuation to put on like a food type company. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding Podcast. If you want to put a smile on my face, leave us a five-star rating review. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for all the support. Follow me on Twitter at Focused Compound. Go to FocusedCompounding.com to get access to uh, investment write-ups by Jeff and hit that subscribe button across all the platforms, um, wherever you listen to the podcast and on YouTube. Thank you so much for all the support. Send me some questions, DM me questions, email me questions, info at FocusedCompounding.com, and we will see you in the next podcast.